Mental health problems, though untalked about, though stigmatized, were really prevalent. I think some estimates put it that almost one in two adolescents in Kenya struggle with some sort of a mental health problem. Wow. The effects of these problems are, are very profound, right? So they affect how you see yourself, how you interact with your, you know, friends and family and go through school. It will affect whether you can get a job in the future, health outcomes, etc. Yet, as I was saying, quite untalked about and quite stigmatized. And so that also led me to think that this was a great place to work. Hello, I'm Paul Munir, the Executive Director of the Youth Intervention Programs Association, and I'm a youth worker at heart. How lucky am I? I have the privilege to meet youth workers from around the globe and learn their stories and share them with the entire world. I'm glad you're listening because together we'll learn how their life experiences shape their youth work. As you listen, I encourage you to consider how your experiences shape what you have to offer young people. Welcome to this edition of The Passionate Youth Worker. Hi, everybody. For this episode, we're joined by Tom Osborne from Nairobi, Kenya. He is the co-founder and CEO of Shamiri Institute, which means thrive in Kiswahili. Tom is dedicated to systems change in his country, and his organization is committed to improving the mental health of young people that he cares so much about. Tom, thanks for being a guest on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Paul, and really excited for this conversation. I am too, Tom. I share your excitement. Tom, you're a relatively young person yourself, at least compared to my age, but you've started this organization that is trying to solve this big problem in your country. How did you decide this is something you wanted to do? Just as you say, I'm a very young person, and that makes sense because Kenya is a very young country. The median age in the country is 19, and, and that's the same across most similar African countries. And so I think that this is the greatest opportunity or challenge of my generation. So if we can provide pathways to independent living for this very youthful population, then you have a great opportunity on our hand. But at the same time, if we can't be able to do this, then you have a really big challenge as well. And so I found this to be a really big, bold problem to, to think about and to try to, to solve and yeah, that's why I'm walking in this space and, and trying to do something about youth mental health. To me, it's impressive, Tom, that you're looking for something that's big enough and bold enough to take on as a career or a life challenge. I'm so inspired by that. I'd like to dive into that a little bit more, but I'd like to back up a little bit, Tom, and talk about your early years, your childhood. What was your growing up experience like? Did you have a lot of pressure on you to be super successful in your life? So I was born and raised in uh, rural Kenya. It's a small sugarcane community. And growing up in the community, there was very limited pathways and opportunities towards independent living or doing something with your life. And one of those opportunities or paths that existed was um, education and academics. And so the path was you do well in school, well, you go to a good secondary school outside of the village, you go to university, and then you have a path to being able to lift your family and yourself out of the village, out of poverty. And, and so that was the backdrop that I found myself 
um, growing up in. And so there was a lot of pressure on me, my siblings, and, and my peers growing up to be able to succeed academically, you know, because this was the only part that we had access to be able to like make something out of our lives. Yeah. So your parents really were focused on your education and committed to making sure that you got the education. Are your parents educated as well? Did they go to secondary school or college? Can you talk a little bit about your mom and dad? Yes, my parents were also born and raised around the same place that I, I was raised. So my dad went through through high school but didn't go through university. My mom didn't finish high school, uh, unfortunately, when she was being raised up. It was a time when, you know, female education was not as valued, I will say. Uh, and so for both of them, and more specifically for my mom, they saw my education as an extension of their education, you know. And so one thing my mom would tell me a lot is, I wasn't able to go to high school, and so I am going to high school through you. And that kind of set the, the tone, you know, the pressure was not only for myself to try and make something out of my own life, yeah. but, you know, also to give my parents an opportunity to also be able to some extent leave their own dreams and aspirations through my life. Yeah, that's great. I can sense how that must be a little bit of extra pressure having your mom vicariously go to school through you, but it, it seems like it's paid off because now you're doing incredible things for your country. We're all a product of our parents to some extent. What were your mom and dad like? Were they driven? Were they dedicated? And are you more like your mom or dad? Yeah, so both my parents were very strict about um, education uh, and very strict about giving me the platform and the opportunity to be able to have an education sort that meant, for example, is when I was about eight or nine, I moved from living with my parents to going to, you know, public boarding school because my parents thought that would best prepare me for the national secondary school entrance exam, which basically determined a lot of my future life prospects. And so from both of my parents, I think that the main thing I learned from that was the idea of quote-unquote sacrifice you know i had to be willing to not stay with my family to have a shot at doing well in life and they also had to make a lot of sacrifices to give me these opportunities to your question of whether i'm like my dad or my mom i think depends on different things i think from my mom i have really picked up a lot of social skills, like I've learned, you know, empathy, I've learned the importance and value of, of community and selflessness. I think her life is the story of, of selflessness. I think from my dad, I've really learned discipline. He still runs like, you know, five kilometers every morning into his 60s, really, you know, very disciplined person. So those are the kind of things I've learned from the both of them. That's interesting. So you're a combination of the two and Tom, I know your education was a real pressure cooker, that boarding school. They had high demands of you and really drilled you academically. And Tom, we've met because I found your TED Talk that you did, and I was just so impressed by that. We're going to post a link for your TED Talk in our show notes, so if people want to go see it. But 
Was that hard on you to live and be in that pressure situation? Or did you find it helpful to learn to be so dedicated and committed? Yeah, I think, you know, growing up, you know, as we were going through that experience, you know, just to paint a picture for our readers. So the nature of the Kenyan education system is that at the end of eighth grade, there's a national examination that every student in the country takes. And depending on how you rank on this exam, you will be admitted to different public secondary schools depending on how you rank. And so some secondary schools are obviously well-resourced, well-ranked, better than others. We have a more, quote-unquote, certain path towards you know, going to university, etc. So for many families, and especially families like mine, the pressure is to do well in this end of primary school exam. So you go to a good secondary school that basically puts you on the path towards success. And so as we were preparing for this exam, not only do we leave in the school for nine to 10 months in a year, but the days are pretty long. So classes start at five in the morning and go up to 10 p.m. So it's a pretty intense pressure cook environment. Wow. But going through it, how we saw this was normal. It was just what it meant to grow up and get an education and come of age within this context, right? And obviously, in hindsight, that really trained us to be very disciplined and dedicated, etc. But going through it, we didn't see it as a quote-unquote traumatic experience, so very tough on us socially, emotionally, behaviorally. In hindsight, you know, I can now see how this experience was to an extent really jarring and really not good for our mental, physical health, etc. But to answer your question, as we were just living through this experience, it didn't feel unusual. And there was to some extent a badge of honor in going through that system and making it. Yeah. I can see how the discipline part of it for sure would be really beneficial. So in this system of school that you were in, it was preparing you to be some sort of leader, some sort of person of status in your community. Was there like a given occupation that you were supposed to be? Was it a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer? I mean, was it expected you'd move into something like that? Because now you're helping young people. I wonder, was that one of the avenues you chose or did you have to kind of break away because it was different? Yeah, so we had an acronym called DELL. D-E-L-L, like the company Dell. Yeah. yeah and yeah, okay. so the four options were you either a doctor, engineer, lawyer, or a loser. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I, I hit on something. Yeah, I expected it would be like that. Yes. Yeah. And that was also the order of prestige. So like doctor being the most prestigious. So when I was studying ninth grade, it was determined that I should be a lawyer. For two reasons. One, I really enjoyed writing. You know, growing up, I wanted to be a writer and a novelist. And I really love language classes, etc. What that means is you are ninth grade, like the subjects you take, everything is lined up. So the goal was for me to go to University of Nairobi Law School, which is like the, the number one law school here in Kenya. And I actually got an admission letter from the law school here um, in Nairobi, though I never attended. Yeah, but that was like the plan for me. Yeah. And so you chose something else. So it really describes you as being kind of a non-traditional 
thinker, an outlier, somebody willing to take a chance on something else. When you could have gone down so many different paths, why did you gravitate towards the well-being of young people in your country? Yeah, I think the first experiences that led me towards working for young people, just working for my community in general, were experiences that I had growing up as well. So more specifically with my mom in rural Kenya, how we cook is, you know, we have firewood. We use firewood or we use charcoal for cooking. And a consequence of that is a lot of emission of smoke and other particulates that clog people's respiratory tracts. And it's actually one of the top killers of people in the developing world. Hmm. And so in high school, my mom got diagnosed with a respiratory tract infection. That was like the first point in my life where I was like, I have been on this path towards being a lawyer and really working hard for myself, but importantly for my family. And my mom is struggling with this problem and I am not in a position to help, right? So I, I felt at that point was kind of a turning point in my life where I realized that my education was great, but it will be better if I could use it towards helping people that I care about and people who are allowed me the opportunity to be where I am. So that was like the first turning point in my life towards doing community-oriented work. And then it evolved over time. So the first experience was when I was a freshman in high school, our class was about 200 students. By the time I was a senior, the incoming freshman class was about 600 students. It had almost oh, wow. grown three times. But the you know resources were the same. So since same classroom, same everything. So it's a little bit more cram, a little bit more difficult. And at the same time, the opportunities outside of high school were not growing the same way. So one example is, for some reason, when we do the end of secondary school examinations, they cap the amount of students who can pass because they only have so much slots in the universities. So you had to be part of that. What appeared to me to be a challenge was that all of us are growing up knowing that, okay, we need to go to high school, we need to do well academically, we need to be doctors, engineers, or lawyers. But now there is three X as many people competing for still the amount of similar resources. And so it seemed to me that the number of quote unquote losers was going to, you know, kind of like drastically increase, right? And so that was like the first realization that made me just think that there will be a lot of opportunity to do something meaningful and impactful towards young people in Kenya. Wow. Well, that's great that you saw that problem and you're trying to solve it and give people the support they need. Tom, we're about halfway through our interview, so we need to take a short break. We'll be right back in just a minute. No matter how you support our young people, the professional youth worker powered by Yippa has your training and learning needs covered. Visit training.yippa.org. That's training.yipa.org to see for yourself and then join the thousands of youth workers around the globe who learn from our easy-to-access exceptional trainings. From our blogs to our podcast, The Professional Youth Worker is your go-to resource for tools to help you keep going, keep learning, and keep growing. Members enjoy free unlimited access to live online and on-demand trainings and a preferred discount pricing for our one-of-a-kind certificate course. Annual memberships are ridiculously affordable for individuals and organizations. Visit training.yipa.org today to learn more. 
That's training.yipa.org. Tom, right before the break, you were telling us about your first time you saw the need to really dive in to help young people. But yet, you didn't just say, okay, I see this problem. You were looking for something that was big and bold, and you decided to attack mental health as the strategy to help young people. Why mental health? Why did you take that on? Why not just figure out how to better the education system or provide people entrepreneurial skills, but you chose to go after the well-being, the mental health of young people. Can you talk about why that path? Yes, I think the three reasons that, that you know made me think that this would be the most effective way of, of doing this. The first is when I look back at my experiences, for example, in my community, we have something called an age group, like people were born around the same year, for example. There is, you go through school together, et cetera, et cetera. So in my age group, I think we're about 12 of us, and only, I think, two of us graduated through high school, and I think it was the only one who graduated through university. And it wasn't because, you know, I was the smartest or the most qualified, et cetera. I think I was able to, quote-unquote, make it for two reasons. One was I was lucky that at particular inflection points in my life where I could have given up, I had people who intervened in my life, but they intervened not through, you know, like buying books or, you know, taking me through programming, but like psychosocially. I also realized through my experience and eventually it was reinforced through studying that a lot of time especially for young people who are like malleable and still have a lot of really great dreams and visions about the future. If you can intervene to help them build resilience, kind of strengthen their mindset and you can improve their motivation, then the effects are profound and go beyond just academics. They can extend as well to if they decide to do entrepreneurial ventures or, you know, decide to go into the arts, etc. So that was the first thing. The second thing is just a realization that mental health problems, though untalked about, though stigmatized, were really prevalent. I think some estimates put it that almost one in two adolescents in Kenya struggle with some sort of a mental health problem. Wow. The effects of these problems are, are very profound, right? So they affect how you see yourself, how you interact with your, you know, friends and family and go through school. It will affect whether you can get a job in the future, health outcomes, etc. Yet, was, as I was saying, quite untalked about and quite stigmatized. And so that also led me to think that this was a, a great place to work. And finally, this is a great opportunity for building a disruption in this space because it's so young and so new that very few people walking around mental health. And so we have this opportunity to make mental health as we want it. You know, we have this opportunity to build from the ground and especially in doing like youth work, yeah, there's a great opportunity where you don't have to, you know, be fighting the system or the establishment and it's just a clean slate, a blank canvas to build upon. 
That's great. You sure have thought through this and it seems like you've made the right decision and you're picking up on something that seems so critical. Tom, as you've uh, built Shamiri Institute, what have you learned about yourself facing the challenges, the struggles, the pushback you might get, the funding that you need, all these kinds of things? What have you learned about yourself through that process? Yeah, I think one thing that I struggle with, and I'm sure, you know, a lot of people who work in similar settings and in similar space struggle with is the more you do this work, the more you realize things about yourself that you may not really like. Working in the caregiving space, in the mental health space, I realize, for example, that um, I often put the health and well-being of other people before my own. And it's more of like a, a giving rather than a receiving or, or a taking yes. um, from culture. And one of the things that I have realized that I think I need to work on is I've realized that I haven't given myself enough opportunities to grow and make mistakes and find myself, quote unquote, you know, and for just realizing that I have spent so much time trying to build something and thinking about other people and other experts of that not really investing a lot of time and resources on my own, just being like aware and mindful of where I am. Yeah, and I think so, so that's one thing that, that I've realized that I need to work on. Uh, I think one of the things that I've realized in the course of this work is just how much resilience we have sometimes you know like there's just so much burden and so much bad things happening in people's lives that you know you have to help them deal with and yeah. and of course that also affects you and your life and just realizing how strong i am sometimes and being able to navigate this and find strength continue doing I think so I've kind of surprised myself in that regard if, if I may say yeah you know I've interviewed so many people for this podcast now and that is probably one of the most common denominators of youth workers is that we take pride in other people doing well and we're so focused on the success of other people that we forget about ourselves sometimes and so to hear you say that is just so real, because that is a bigger problem, I think, in our field than we give credit to. We need to figure out how to take care of ourselves because we can't help other people and solve problems if we're not whole ourselves and complete ourselves. Tom, are there things you do to improve that? Have you, I don't know, tried to be intentional about your own well-being and your own success? Have you taken steps to try to do that? Or are you just so engrossed and so in a growth phase and uh, developmental phase that you just don't have time to do that? Yeah, I think it's easier said than done, you know, because just like the realities of you know, running a startup, working um, in these spaces, there are like new problems every day that demand attention and often seem more pressing and higher, quote unquote, in the hierarchy of needs and, you know, kind of my own. So, yeah, so I think to be honest, like, you know, I haven't being able to find the balance here. I think what I've been doing is starting to reignite the things that I enjoy doing. You know, so as I told you at the beginning, I wanted to be a writer and so I'm carving on more time to 
you know, to write and to kind of try and reignite that passion and that connection. That's one of the things I'm doing to start allowing myself opportunities and moments to start engaging with other things that I enjoy and find satisfaction in besides, you know, obviously the work that, that we're doing at Shamiri. Well, good luck to you. And I certainly can appreciate and relate with how it's easier said than done. I can definitely connect with that statement. Tom, I can't believe we're out of time already, but I want to thank you for being so willing to take a big and bold chance to help thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, this maybe someday not millions of young people by addressing their mental health needs through a creative approach that we didn't even have time to get into. But again, I'm going to put your TED Talk in the show notes for this episode so that people can go watch that. It's so inspiring what you do. And for your age and your dedication and just drive and courage to solve a problem and make mental health in your country the way you think it needs to be solved is so inspirational. And I just want to thank you for all the work that you do and all the work you're going to do. So keep going, Tom. No, thank you so much, Paul, for having me. And, you know, I'm also a really big fan of, of this podcast. And, and I think it's really great to listen to stories of other like youth workers, young people working for young people, looking forward to, you know, maybe coming back again in the future. But, you know, just to encourage other people to continue youth work, it's, you know, not the, always the most, you know, fancy or most beautiful work, but it's yeah. quite, you know, impactful and meaningful and sets people. I believe, on a pathway that influences the outcomes of their lives beyond just when we work with them. Yes. Tom, I always like to give the guest the last word on their episode. What words of wisdom or inspiration would you like to leave with our listeners? Yeah, I think my final word will be to encourage the listeners to, to the extent that they can enjoy the process of youth work. Often we are really interested in outcomes, you know, achieving this milestone, getting this thing off the to-do list. And because of that, we may not find ourselves really embracing the moment and embracing the process. And, and I think that's where the true satisfaction is, you know, being able to wake up every day, to, to seize the day and to just enjoy every part of the process of, of the work that we do. And so, yeah, that's my final word to the listeners today. The most value is from the, the process of the work that we're doing and not the end goal or outcome or milestone. If you would like to share your passion for youth work, we'd love to spotlight you as a guest. If you have feedback about the show, please let us know. Just visit training.yipa.org. That's training.yipa.org and click on the podcast tab. This podcast is made possible in part due to a generous contribution from M Health Fairview. I'm your host, Paul Muneer. Thanks for listening to The Passionate Youth Worker. 